Hey everyone, my name is Tom Pullen. Welcome. It's always good to be found in the Word of God. Hope you're well. Hope you're constantly living in His grace. Amen. Today we want to start a series of teachings. This is the first of seven on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. God asks ourselves, out of all the churches that were present in that time, why were these seven particular churches selected? Is there a reason for that? How do these seven churches reflect, number one, the church ages, number two, the current state of the church today concerning the individual believer, and thirdly, do I find myself in one of these seven churches? Let's get into it. We're going to have a look. We're going to go in depth to understand a few things, and I hope you'll be blessed. I hope it will lead you to Christ. I hope it will open your eyes and cause you to examine yourself or re-examine yourself because the deal is we're living in the last days. We're living in days that are challenging. We're living in times that it's difficult to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We're facing such a difficult task in the world, a world that hates everything about Jesus Christ. And sometimes the easy option is to conform, but the reality of who we are as true believers and true disciples is that we are transformed nonconformists. We don't bow, we don't bend, we don't break, we endure right up until the end because we know there's a prize waiting for us and we know there's a better place for each and every one of us. And I say amen to that because that is the absolute truth. God bless you all today. Let's get into this. The first church we're looking at, obviously, is the first church mentioned, which is the church of Ephesus. Let's go straight to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want you to take notice of something before we go any further. He says, he that overcometh. And you'll see that word overcome is common in the book of Revelation. Because, listen to me, brothers and sisters, that is what it is about, overcoming, resisting, fighting, enduring. The flesh is a formidable enemy against the faith. Yes, our own flesh. But we have to overcome. For example, when you decide to fast, and you're going through the day, you're going through the fast, and the fast is going 
well and you're pushing through the fast, all of a sudden the flesh hits you, boom, and the hunger pains are bad. And not only that, but the desire to eat becomes so intense and every meal looks appealing. A dry slice of bread becomes some wonderful meal that you have to eat. But if you keep your word that you are determined to fast, for whatever reason, and you fall to your knees and you pray and say, help me, that is overcoming. And you'll win in the end. You'll win because you are dependent on Christ. So when we say overcome, I'm not saying push in your own ability, struggle in your own flesh. It's only Christ that has overcome the world. It's only Christ that has overcome the flesh. So for us to overcome is absolute dependence on him. I want to point out something here real quick. Christ identifies himself to the church in Ephesus as one who's holding the seven stars in his right hand and who's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Okay, now obviously lampstands is a better translation because when you think of a candlestick nowadays, we'll just think of the wax candlestick. It's actually seven lampstands. A candlestick requires a light such as a candle, which is self-consuming. A lampstand is for the support of a lamp which has a wick, and the wick, instead of burning away, is fed from oil which is within the lampstand. And we know that according to the scriptures, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself interprets the lampstands as meaning the seven churches to whom he was about to send messages. We see that Jesus looks upon the churches as not the light, but simply the light holder. And then please take note of the fact that Jesus is speaking of stars and lampstands, which therefore meaning that we're living in the last days, we're living in the night time of this dispensation, because stars and lampstands belong to the night. Okay, that's very important. And I just want to repeat, the lampstands are light holders. They are not the light. The light of the church comes from Christ. I know Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and a city that, can, that is set on a hill cannot be hid. But that light that you are only comes from Christ. Okay, we're together on this one. In order to overcome, I just want to go back to overcoming. We have to depend on who Christ is, because that is overcoming. And here, talking to the church of Ephesus, he says, whoever overcomes will eat of the tree of life. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I just want to encourage you that, yes, it gets hard sometimes. The journey on this side of time is a difficult one because it's a journey in the flesh. The vehicle that is carrying us to our next destination is the flesh, and that flesh is weak. The same flesh that caused Adam to sin in the Garden of Eden, even though he was in a perfect place, even though everything was going for him, everything was right and perfect for him. Still, the flesh could not resist temptation. It's a fight against this wicked flesh. It's a fight against this weak flesh. But I thank God, I thank God with my whole heart that we do not need to trust in our own flesh. We do not need to trust in our own ability. We have Christ to trust in. 
Christ, like I said earlier, defeated sin, defeated the world, defeated Satan, defeated the flesh. We can put our trust in Jesus Christ today, right now at this moment. Are you suffering with addictions? Are you suffering with habitual sin? Are you suffering with depression? Anything that you are struggling with that is drawing you away from God? Listen to me. Jesus says, come unto me. All you that are heavy, heavy laden, listen to the call of Christ. It is perpetual. It is simple. He says, come unto me and I'll give you rest. It's a continuous and constant call. And it is a simple call. Come unto me and I will give you rest. He also says, abide in me. Listen to me, my people. Come to Jesus and stay in Jesus. And in Christ, I can guarantee you that you will overcome because Christ has overcome. You know that scripture? It's a common scripture that is referenced in the church. It says, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And I say amen to that because Christ is greater. In my weakest moment, dependent on Christ, I am at my strongest. In my strongest moment, dependent on myself, I am at my weakest. Let us depend, let us lean on and trust in the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Amen and amen. And can you say amen as well? I digress a little bit, but it's important for you to know that Christ is calling you right now. He's calling you to come to Him, sinner that needs salvation. Come to Christ. Saint that is struggling, come to Christ. Because Christ's call is today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Amen. Let's get into the the church at Ephesus. First of all, Christ says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, He says, Write these things, saying, He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. It's got to be clear. It's got to be clear that Christ is in control of everything to do with the church. The church belongs to Christ. He holds the angels in his hands, which are the seven stars. He walks amongst the churches. He gives them light. They are his churches. Whether the particular church exists or does not exist is entirely up to Christ. The church does not belong to any individual. The church belongs to Christ. Very important for us to know, you as a member of the church, you are Christ's. You belong to Christ. I hope you heard. He commends them by saying, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And I know how you cannot stand those who are evil. And you cannot bear them, okay? You cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tried those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars and as born, and you've had patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and you have not fainted. This part here, this part, there's two things I want to pick out from this. First of all, he says you've tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. We lack so much of that in the modern church today. Because so many people are claiming the title of an apostle. And they are using that claim to mislead people, yet 
The purpose of an apostle is to draw people to Christ, sent out to bring Christ to the world and establish churches in the name of Jesus Christ and unto Christ. But nowadays you hear sermons like, I'm an apostle, so I'm untouchable. I have thousands and thousands of angels that walk with me. You cannot talk about me. I'm an apostle, so do not question the words that I'm saying. I'm an apostle, so my anointing is necessary for your blessing and your existence. And what has happened is that these men that make these claims have exalted themselves. When you look at apostles in the Bible, they were out there preaching the gospel, being persecuted, and not preaching some made-up, fancy, false gospel. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing life to dead areas by bringing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But these days we have so-called apostles that have exalted themselves above everyone else in the church. We must test these people against what the Bible says an apostle is. We must measure them against the word of God. It's very important because if you do not do that, if you are not diligent, it's your soul that is at risk. It's your soul. Now, the second thing that he mentions here, he says, you've labored for my name's sake. Remember in, in, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, you'll come and say, have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not healed the sick and done many wonderful works in your name? And I'll say to you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. Makes me think of this church. Makes me think of the church at Ephesus. He says you have born. It means to endure, to bear through difficulty, through hardship. You stand, you carry whatever you must carry. You endure whatever you must endure. And they did this with patience and for the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. And they labored and they did not faint. And everything they had done, they had done in the name of Jesus Christ, and they had not fainted. They continued faithfully in doing the work. This is interesting, because now he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Man, oh man. So they're doing everything right. They're carrying the work of the kingdom, faithful, standing, enduring but they've left their first love. They've left Christ. They're working in His name, for His name. But again, remember when Jesus said, I never knew you. Why? Because they have left His first love. It has become about the ministry. It has become about the work. It has become about the duty of being a disciple rather than being a disciple. Because true discipleship True Christianity is Christ-centered, is Christ-focused. The heart is set on Christ continuously, gazing constantly on Jesus Christ. But these people are worried about the work, busy doing works, busy laboring. And he commends them for it. He's not saying it's a bad thing, but they're so focused on the tradition of church that they've forgotten Christ. 
But he tells them, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove the candlestick from out of his place, unless you repent. The only way you can turn back to Christ is through repentance. Now, repentance, as we should understand by now, is not praying and saying, Oh Lord, I repent of my sins. Oh Lord, you, oh Lord for, forgive me, I repent. No, asking for forgiveness is fine. But repentance is making the decision to turn around and go back. Go back to the day where you were walking with Christ. Go back to the place where you were speaking with Christ. Go back to the place where you were working for Christ because of your love for Him, because of your passion for Him. That is repentance. It's going back. It's turning around. Remember when Abraham had gone down into Egypt, and in Egypt he was there for a bit, and they had that whole mess with the the, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt taking his wife, and, and God had to warn him to say that this is a prophet's wife. And while Abraham was in Egypt, he never heard from God. And finally, he left Egypt, and he went back to the last place he heard God, the last altar where he heard God. And at that place, he sacrificed, and he heard the voice of God again. So here he's telling us, do the first works. Go back and do the things you did in the beginning, the works of repentance. Do those. Because if you do not do that, I'm going to take you out of your place. I am going to remove you unless you repent. We've got to come correct from taking our faith walk for granted, our relationship with Christ for granted. Remember what Paul said in Romans. He says, if the natural branch could be cut off, how much you that have been grafted in go back? Because he says it clearly here, I will remove you from your place unless you repent. Go back. Think about the times you used to pray faithfully, giving glory to Christ, reading the Bible practicing and living the life of obedience, go back, following after Jesus, listening to his word, practicing his word, and desiring to be like him, go back, go back. Because if you do not, remember the scripture that says you become reprobate. That's the same thing. He'll remove you out of your place. Go back, turn around today and go back. That's the only option you have is to repent. I hope you heard. Then he says, but this I like about you, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, now, now, this is interesting. We're going to look at that in a moment. But this is interesting. Okay, then he promises them, you'll eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Wonderful promise. Wonderful promise. If you overcome, if you endure the difficulty and the hardship of being a disciple in this world, the troubles of this life, the temptations, the pain, the burden, the tears, and you stand firm and you endure as a true disciple of Jesus, living in obedience, one day 
He will lead you to the tree of life, and you will eat of that tree which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's just look a little bit deeper here into this. So Christ has a complaint against the church of Ephesus and what he has against them. He says, you've left your first love. Interestingly enough, we find that the very name Ephesus means to let go or to relax. That's the meaning of the name Ephesus, to relax. So the Ephesus church have become a backslidden church. They've become a church that is content in just doing works, content in just having an all-night prayer meeting, in just having hospital visits or prison visits or feeding programs, in just having church on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, just content with doing the motions of church traditions, no longer seeking after Christ. They're comfortable in just doing. Now, please understand, Christ is not condemning them for their works. He's commending them for their works. But the only problem is their works are now carnal and in vain because they've become content and they no longer seek after Christ. They're not seeking to be a better disciple for Christ. They've relaxed. They're not constantly measuring themselves against the words of Jesus Christ. They relax. But please note, in their relaxing, they did not become sinful. They did not draw away from their faith. They just became content just to do church. They became a works-focused church instead of a Christ-focused church. Yes, the church must do works, but the works must be works of righteousness in Christ and unto Christ, not works in the flesh. It's not about having an all-night prayer meeting. It's not about having a fasting program. It's not about that. It's not about pushing good works. It's about Christ. It's about doing works under the leadership of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has come to testify about Christ. So everything done under the leadership of the Holy Spirit is done unto Christ. Let me give you an example. We're coming up to the end of the year now, and we're about to hit the new year in January, and God willing, we all make it into January. And on the second day of January, practically all churches across the world go on a 10-day, a 21-day, 30-day, or 40-day fast from the 2nd of January because they say you have to start the year well so you end the year well. But to be honest, I don't see anybody fasting in December. But anyway, my point is that that fast has become a carnal tradition because now you hear people say to other people, oh, you're not fasting in January. Do you fast? Why are you not fasting in January? I have to fast in January because if I don't fast in January, I just won't manage throughout the year. But Christ says fast in secret. You see, that's the point. You're worried about the works and advertising, oh, January is coming up. January, I'm fasting. But obedience is essential. Christ says fast in secret. But now we're advertising our fast. Why? We're more worried about the work than we are about being obedient 
to Jesus Christ. You're focused on the tradition and not on Christ. Never ever have you heard a church say, we're meeting together from the 1st of January and we're going to read through the New Testament throughout the month of January. Let's all meet together, let's come together, let's go through the Bible together so that we can understand what we need to obey. You don't hear that because we want the traditions. Now, we want to talk about this, okay? We want to talk about this. I want you to see this. He says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, who I also hate. Who were the Nicolaitans? Why does he praise them for this? And he says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I mean, the word hate is a strong word. That's no easy word. He says, he says, I loathe them. I hate their works. So who were they? He hated their doctrine. He hated their works, their teachings. Jesus commended the church of Ephesus because of their hatred of the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which he also hates. Think about it. He's using the word hate. When we look at the Greek word misao, which means to hate, to abhor, to find utterly repulsive. It describes a person who has deep-seated animosity. So he's not saying, I dislike the works or the teachings of the Nicolaitans. He says, I detest them. I hate them. They're repulsive to me. He hated their deeds. The Greek word there is egia, which means works. Who are they? What's going down with these people? Now, we can look at their name and see something here. Okay, Nicolaitans is derived from the Greek word Nikolas, and it is a compound of the word Nikos and Laos. The word Nikos is the Greek word which means to conquer or to subdue. The word Laos in the Greek means people. So Nicolaitans means to subdue the people or to conquer the people. So somehow this would suggest that they were subduing or conquering God's people. How were they doing that? You ask, obviously. How do you conquer and deceive people? Through doctrine, through false doctrine, through false works. This is how they did it. What they were doing is they were bringing an apostolic succession system into the church, a false apostolic system into the church. They were using biblical teachings things that were taught by the apostles to now control the people and set themselves above the people. They were setting an order in the church, what they would call a priestly order or an apostolic order. And this would set certain people above the saints of the church. You've got to remember in the early church, the apostles were first among equals. They weren't exalted above everyone else. So what these people did, they took truth from the scripture and they manipulated that truth to set themselves above everybody else, to gain control and power in the church. A false apostolic system, setting up a hierarchy in the church. We are the chosen and the core people of God. You must honor us. You must acknowledge us. You must give us glory. We do not need to work in the church. You must work for us. You must make sure you are taking care of us. Now, 
if you notice, all these things are true because the apostles taught these things. For example, Peter says we should not be waiting on tables. We should be studying the word and praying so that we can teach you the word. Paul says you must take care of those who teach you. But these things were not meant to be oppressive to the people. They were not saying these things in a way of telling you that we are better than you, we are above you. No, we are first among equals. We have been entrusted with the word to you. Watch this. Jesus says, the greatest among you must be servant among you. That's what Jesus says. But this new hierarchy, this new system, puts these false teachers on par with Jesus Christ. So they then teach that word of Jesus, saying if you want to be great, you must be the least. But it's not applicable to them. It's applicable only to you. So what happens now? Why are these words and teachings and deeds hated? Because when you put into practice the teachings of the Nicolaitans, people now focus on man rather than God. So you now have people saying, I'm going through a tough time in my life. I just need to speak to my prophet. I just need to speak to my apostle or my bishop or my pastor or whatever. I need to speak to the leader at my church. They'll pray for me. And because of their anointing, things will be okay for me. You hear people now saying that I have a decision to make in my life. I just need to hear from the man of God what I should do. People are no longer seeking Christ and seeking the will of God. I've met people that have made poor, poor, poor decisions. And the reason for it is because they were misled in church. They were misled in church. So people are no longer going to Christ. Jesus is saying, come unto me and I'll give you rest. He says, he says in the Bible, cast your cares unto Jesus because he cares for you. But people are focused on these individuals and what they say and what they can do. We trust them. But the truth is we're trusting nonsense. Because basically what these people have done, they have set themselves up as little gods in our lives. And we defend them against family and friends. People are willing to offend family and friends to defend their church leaders. In fact, some leaders even teach, when your family talks about me, stand up for me because I'm the man of God, which is incorrect. We do not stand up for any man. We do not defend the works of any man. That man must stand up and face the consequences of his own words and his own works, not through us on his own. We must give people Christ and not man, because all men are sinners. All men need the saving blood of Jesus. All men need the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. All men are flawed. But this is what has been set up, and these men have become the Nebuchadnezzar statue in the midst of our congregations. And now they're doing all these works and teaching all these things, and people are running after them and believing them and not reading their Bibles because they've been conquered. They've come with a false new covenant plan, and the people have been conquered. Be careful. We must be careful. Let me tell you what. That system is set up in the church world today, not just in the Catholic Church, because that's the prime example of this false type of system, but also in Pentecostal churches. 
these men we call great men of God, mighty men of God, men set apart unto themselves, visionaries and carriers of the vision and the covenant of God, and all these titles that were given, that are given to these men of God, it's the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus hates it because it brings deception to the church. Be careful what you believe. Be careful what you believe. Paul rebuked people. He says, some of you are saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. He says, we don't do that because we all belong to Christ. And we see that in the modern church. My pastor, my prophet, my bishop, I belong to this church. This is my bishop. Come on, people, we belong to Christ. Now, a fair outline of the church of Ephesus is from the period of AD 70 to about AD 170. Okay, that was the character of the church in that period. But also, before we shut this down, I want to ask you a question. Do you see yourself in the church of Ephesus? Are you a person focused on the duty of serving God? You're faithful to go to church, you're in every service, but your heart is not there. Okay, I've got to be blunt about this. You have things in your life that you love more than you love Christ, but you're faithful to church. You're in every prayer meeting, you're in every practice. You're in Sunday to Sunday, you're all there in church, but you're focused on the work. You're not following Christ anymore. You're focused on the work. The love for Christ is gone. Do you see yourself in the church of Ephesus? If you do, the simple, the simple thing to do is repent. Go back. Go all the way back. Go ways back to the first place where you served Christ. Do the first works where you obeyed him out of love. Your heart was focused on Christ. I've met a lot of people in my time. And a common thing when you meet people, they say, I love Jesus. They say to me, Don, I love Jesus more than I love anything in this world, more than I love my own life. So many people say that to me. But do your actions show that you love Jesus? He says, if you love me, you'll keep my word. Do your actions show that you love Jesus? Because if you love him, do the first work. Saying I love you doesn't mean you love the person because we can say anything you want. If you want to show him that you love him, do the first works. What are the first works of salvation? Obedience. Are you obeying his word? If you love me, keep my word. Amen. That's part one. God willing, part two will come in the next few days. Um, we'll be looking at the church in Smyrna next. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for listening to the end. If you've come this far, please do a little favor. Leave a like on the video. It really helps. Subscribe to the channel if you have not. And please share this with as many people as you can. You can become a channel member. Okay, you can just click join. And below that in the comment section, you'll find the links to our Patreon page. If you'd like to support us, if you've been blessed by what we are doing and by the teachings that we give, and you'd like to support the channel, there's a link in the comment section there to our Patreon page. Please head over to the Patreon page and choose to become a channel member and participate. Join us in teaching, spreading the gospel, and help this ministry to advance. 
to everybody that has been supporting us, to everybody that has been participating, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you very much. Please continue to prayerfully do so. God bless you. Have a great one. Stay in the Bible. Read your Bible, people. Pray. Seek God every single day. And remember, as true disciples of Jesus Christ, we learn, we practice, and we teach because that's the only way to do it. Amen. I've been Don Pullen. I'll see you in the next one.